Caudell Podcast. Today, my guest is Caleb Caudell. He is a writer that I encountered on Twitter in our little sphere of dissidents. We have a really great conversation, particularly once it gets started. We talk about basically the idea of the outsider and how you brand that idea. Does the outsider deserve a brand? Is branding the outsider kill the outsider? But then we see that so many of the great movements of history have been outsider movements. So what is the difference between joining an outsider movement and being a true outsider yourself? Um, We talk about a bunch of other cool things. Uh, grifters in movements, and Tifa selling battered fruit boxes for feminism, the scrubbing away of natural human longing, its replacement with branding and products, the overabundance of expression, the glut of air, the need for fire, water, and earth, little boxes of ultimate individual freedom or poor substitutes for freedom of association, the foul localism of multi-use commercial spaces in small American cities, my shitty former editor at LA Weekly, Comparing the beats to the dissonant rights, condoms as they, and bodybuilders as the beautiful ones. So uh, a lot of great stuff in this conversation. I will also say that I am doing this from Montana. I don't have my good microphone, which is probably why this sounds so bad. Um, I'm out here in Tom Minor Basin at a ranch. It's really gorgeous, although the first night we were accosted by bats in our cabin that we were staying in we had to run out of there in the middle of the night like some kind of horror movie i have some interesting thoughts about bats that i've been sharing on twitter there's a very fascinating joyce carol oates tweet where she says she's doubting the existence of bats and i know what she means they're this sort of strange fungal otherworldly being um happy fourth of july everybody i mean that from the bottom of my heart and reporting here live from montana i wish you the very best holiday and celebration of america and uh hope you enjoy this conversation with caleb caudell okay bye what would you call it what would you call this group i I would maybe call it a loose association of malcontents a loose association of malcontents let's go with that an l-a-m Um, yeah. And I think, uh, the questions that I want to ask you later are how does one brand or market or, or, um, build messaging around that group or should you, or is, is building messaging around that group naturally antithetical to what it's about? Um, but before we get into that, let's just talk about you for a little bit. So, so you're uh, calling in to, from Indianapolis. Indianapolis, that's right. Uh, the convention city, I think, is how it <laughs> itself. We do yeah, have a lot of right. conventions here. So the crossroads of America, I think, is also another catchphrase. It's situated pretty much in the center, close to the center of the U.S. You've got a lot of people... It's funny, it's considered this flyover region, but actually a lot of people fly right into this place to hold conventions, business meetings. There are a lot of festivals, big events. Right, the convention crossroads. The Indiana is the crossroads state, right? That's right, yeah. And it, I like Indianapolis. It suits me very well. It's, it's got a slow pace. The population density is low, but it still has a little bit of that urban energy to it. It's not the the city that never sleeps. It's the city that takes an afternoon nap after eating a tenderloin. <laughs> after eating a what? A tenderloin. It's a tenderloin. A, yeah, it's like this giant uh, fried pork 
press. <laughs> I don't even know what where it's coming from in the pig, but yeah, it's like an Indiana or Hoosier staple. Wow. Okay. So what in comparison to other cities in the area like Cleveland and Chicago and Detroit and you know uh what else is over there? Pittsburgh, I guess. We, it, what is yeah. uh what is the difference with Indiana? Well, many of those cities are all distinctive in their own way. Uh, I think a lot of those cities have that urban decay, post-industrial wasteland quality to them. Chicago is obviously the most dense, the the most energetic, probably is thriving the most. Detroit, I visited recently, and it's even more sparsely populated, I think, than Indianapolis right now, or at least it feels that way. I don't, I don't know the actual population numbers, but there's not even a rush hour really up there right now. It's very quiet. You can see tumbleweeds rolling down the street. Indianapolis, though, I, I like to characterize it as a series of overlapping small towns. Like L.A.? Is that, yeah, I've never been out there, so I don't know really? what it's Oh, yeah, like. you gotta, you gotta make it out at some point. But I, yeah. I would like, yeah, but it's, you got that outer ring with the heavy traffic rush hour thing going on, but within it, it's, you just have all of these, these little neighborhoods, and some of them are nicer than others. You still have quite a bit of that blight, the fallout of that post-industrial development, but there's a lot of gentrification too. There's some nicer shops. There's some cool spots. You know, if you're like the the foodie type or that kind of decadent, you can still find your avant-garde Dutch baby pancakes. There's still that higher end service industry stuff going on too. Yeah, because you've been in the service industry for a while, right? I mean, you're kind of right. always in and out of the in service industry, which we'll get to. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, with regard to Detroit, I mean, I've been to Detroit a few times in this current era and it really does feel like it's the kind of post-apocalyptic. I mean, this has been said 80 million times in different ways, but yeah, it does feel very desolate. Like, whereas, yeah, in the few, I've been through Indianapolis a few times. It's, it basically feels like a small city. I I think all small cities have all small American cities have this same kind of feel So like whether you're talking about Oklahoma City or like Kansas City or most of those places have this same like, you know, kind of like uppity vibe. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, we we have such and such entrepreneur is building a new Mm -hmm. uh, multi-use like it's always called like, you know, the the foundry or the, (laughs) you know, which is like. Well, yeah, yeah exactly exactly and they all have that same kind of like vibe you know reno is like that reno has this like new exciting beer scene and yeah. uh indianapolis youth commercial space or something like that it like luxury apartment suites with commercial real estate built into it as well yes exactly that, right right yeah. where they're charging the most they can for the suites above and then there's like stylish oh there's a um you know, a shake shack and, uh, you know, it's, it, there's all the, um, yeah, there's a studio and a yogurt shop and a, and a yogurt shop. Right. But, but none of them are actually local, you know, it's all this kind of pretend yeah. localism. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, no. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's good that you like it out there. Um, are you in the city proper or are you kind of outside of it? Yeah, I am just east of downtown, the downtown area. That's all the skyscrapers are concentrated within a few blocks. And then from there, things flatten out quite a bit. And I'm about half a mile to a mile away from downtown. I'm in a neighborhood that is uncharacteristically pretty for the city <clears throat> yeah it's like this it's not the prettiest city uh that's easy to see it, it's not terrible but it's it's not necessarily known for its beautiful lanes but where i am is it's almost like cut out of a different time and place it's, it's called woodruff and it's these three streets with esplanades and fountains and sculptures of deer and there's really nothing else quite like it in the city oh that's cool yeah, you know, I'm I'm from the Midwest myself. I'm from Chicago, and I'm always struck by how not beautiful the landscape is. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in New Orleans. I've lived in Chicago, or I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in LA. I've lived in New York. I've lived in Europe, and it was like I grew up in Chicago, where there was basically no features (laughs) like there was no you know there was no hills there was no woods there was no it was just like this blank space Mm. whereas then you go to other places and you're like whoa this is like really physically beautiful right and i think the midwest is just not a very we'll get to midwestern lit which is what your blog is called but the midwest is naturally not beautiful i would say yeah um, although, isn't it like Southern Indiana is very beautiful, right? It's like the bridges say, of Madison I, County. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> it, it. Southern Indiana is very underrated when it comes to natural beauty. Once you get in, into Central Indiana and Northern Indiana, everything flattens out. It's cornfields as far as the eye can see. It's a little bit drab. It's a little bit dull. But Southern Indiana is rolling hills, dense woods rivers yeah it's much more scenic yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like appalachia yeah well it it borders on and and bleeds into yeah like the the way you think of kentucky as having all that natural yeah southern indiana really is like a an extension a northern extension of kentucky yeah 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 right right yeah i think the blue ridge mountains is like the most beautiful part of the country but uh in sort of roughly the same area uh okay so Let's get into what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, the, the note I have here is <clears throat> we're talking about outsiders. So I, I've talked about being an outsider. We're talking about being outsiders as writers, you know, yes. malcontents, which, mm-hmm. I mean, if we're being honest, every great writer has, you know, I mean, what great writer has ever not been that? Is there any great yeah. examples of yeah. writers that mm-hmm. are... I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's examples of writers that are like really, you know, inside, I guess, like I'm very well adjusted. Yeah, right. Like, I I love this. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny that because there's so much, um, whether it's valid or not, criticism about like, oh, it's so boring to hear white men talking about their, in you know, individual struggle to come yes. to terms with their identity. Their injured emotions. <laughs> yeah, and like, oh, because that's what all writing has basically been, like, forever. I mean, outside of, of course, like, playwriting and things like that. But yeah, it's like, you know, even Faulkner, all those things are basically about, like, what it is to be a man. 
Sure. But at the same time, hey, like if that's what good writing is or that's what works, then what, you know, you can't force it to be anything else. And we are still men. Right. <laughs> yeah. What am I, what am I supposed to like pretend? I remember when I was working for LA Weekly, um, I had this editor who was not a good writer. He was a, he was a bad writer, but he left and he wrote a book and I was writing my book at the time my first book, which was a total piece of shit. It was, again, it was like the first thing I ever wrote. And so I was just getting the wheels going, but I sent it to him and I was like, Hey man, um, can you like, can I talk to your publisher about this? I just want to like, you know, see what he has to say. Is there any chance for this, et cetera. And this was a guy that I was like pretty close with as a writer. He, he kind of found me and got me writing for LA weekly um, but I'd written a couple of pieces for LA Weekly that were about being kind of like a disaffected. It was like contrarian pieces. I wrote an anti Kendrick Lamar piece. I wrote Ooh. a piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm interested in reading I that. that. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff was so long ago, but um, I wrote a piece about going and meeting Chief Keef, the rapper. And it was like oh, yeah. very much like fish out of water. And I mm-hmm. remember it was very shocking because I, he had been very friendly before and I sent him my stuff and he was like, Oh uh, no, I can't send this to my, to my uh, editor, to my book editor. And I was like, why? And he was like, Oh, because you have a distinctive voice of otherness in your writing. Not even. <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, Oh yeah. You write about like other people, like they're the other. And I was like, you other. Other I, I othered other people. I was like, what, what am I supposed, I'm supposed to write about like Kendrick Lamar. I'm supposed to write about Chief Keef, like, you know, total gangster as if like, I'm yes. want, like him. Like how am I am totally different? Like that's, what am I supposed to say? You know, had a more refreshing perspective anyway. Yeah. You want? Right. Exactly. And, and also my articles always like got 10 times more traffic than anybody else's because they were like that. But uh, anyway, so we're talking about being an outsider. Um, Mm. You you wrote the idea of outsider in the sense of brand identity versus being truly on the outside, not having any group at all. And I just want to read a passage from your writing. And to give everybody a little bit of context, what we're talking about, again, is this group of writers that is on Twitter. We're on the Internet. And I think Delicious Tacos is one of them. Uh, He's probably a good example of the literary side of that. There's also the Mm -hmm. political side, which is Bronze Age pervert, who has a huge impact in culture. And of course, Curtis Yarvin, um, who's really almost on a different level. Is there anybody else that you think I should like mention? No, I think that's a good list. Yeah, I mean, those are like the big fish in this kind of area. But there's a bunch of us like lower down who are all kind of like trying to be good at this. And it's it really is formulating into a real like scene, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very outside. It is very yeah. much like we are the losers. We're the kind of like out we're, we've been ignored. And now this is our voice kind of thing. Yeah. And so you have, but the, here's you in this great passage talking about this world that we're in a little bit. And you mm-hmm. say, according to the internet, These cold showers should improve my mood, lower anxiety, turn me into a Navy SEAL. And you're talking about like in this world that we're in, there's all this kind of bodybuilding stuff and all these physical challenges. Sorry, what? The self-improvement. Yeah, a lot of self-improvement, kind of Jordan Peterson-ish stuff. 
And uh, so according to the internet, these cold showers should improve. Oh, and you, your shower went, stopped working. So you could only take. Yeah, I'm taking cold showers because (laughs) the hot water heater malfunctioned. Because you actually have to. So according to the internet, these cold showers should improve my mood, lower anxiety, turn me into a Navy SEAL. Like all supplements and motivational thread tweets and stirring YouTube speeches about living with urgency or unlocking your true power, cold showers do nothing. I've tried every breathing method, meditation program, organizational approach, time management trick, sunning your butthole at the meridian and eating grilled elk penis. Reading the Stoics and the skeptics and the moralists and the church fathers, the only things that bring... things that bring real advantages are hardcore drugs and knowing wealthy people. <laughs> so this yeah. is a great, great passage. So this is you kind of like not refusing to join the outsider group. You're kind of shitting on it. Yes. <laughs> but you're also kind of part of it. So how do you reconcile those two things? I reconcile it by saying, on the one hand, I am not exclusionary. In, in what I'm trying to do. I want as many people as possible to read me and enjoy what I'm doing. And I don't intend to make enemies and draw lines. That, but that being said, I also can't resist mocking things that I see as silly or as maybe even insincere. Or maybe it's not a question of sincerity or not, but things that seem like obvious grifts, like taking advantage of people's alienation or isolation, you know, the lack of structure in their lives, and then turning that into a mass product, into like the advice industrial economy. Like I, I'm very critical of that, and I like to mock it, especially because it puts on such airs, and it takes itself so seriously so much of the time. And that's very difficult for me to resist criticizing. But at the same time, I can be friends with all these people. I don't really care. I'm not trying to banish anyone. I'm not trying to exile anyone. I'm not trying to form camps. I don't want a following that views what I do as incompatible with anything else. So like, if, if you like all that stuff, if you, and I'm not even saying it hasn't benefited anyone. It probably has. Like, there are certain level, there, there are people out there who probably have gotten a kick in the ass that they need from some of that material. And I wouldn't want to take that from them. But I also do think you can reach a point where a lot of that stuff becomes very formulaic. It gets really tired. You see a lot of imitators. And that sort of thing starts to get on my nerves to the point where I, I have to take some shots. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> when we're talking about that stuff, what do we mean? What What are we actually saying? Yeah. Who's being so scolded? Yeah. Sorry. Within that, the, the dissident or alternative right sphere, I'm thinking more specifically about the, the self-improvement wing, the, yeah. the self-help, the turning yourself into a badass, the alpha male, even like the way that borders on the, the pickup artist, mm-hmm. seduction guide gurus, all, all of that material. And, and I know that you can make these finer distinctions and I'm sure there are people who would want to come along and say, well, you know, I don't identify with any of that. A pickup stuff is degenerate. I'm a, a trad con <laughs> person, but 
but but I, it, it's always a little bit amorphous and all, all of these different figures and movements, they, they shade into each other. They can be difficult to distinguish. But I, I'm thinking broadly enough about people who are mostly trying to motivate, to provide some kind of yeah. financial or romantic edge to people. I'm trying to provide a, a, a quick solution, right? Yeah, and, and it's, it's funneling people into some kind of paid subscription or service. Yeah, right, right, right. And there is so much of that. But but I, what I want to get at is what is the substance of what we're talking about? Like, what is the nature of it? So, right, there's in any movement, right, there's grifters, obviously. And it's very disappointing in our movement to see grifters selling, you know, yeah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a badass, come take my however much a month course on how to like get your own clients. And, you know, yeah. like, which is like, it is so funny. Like the whole internet is full of rock star entrepreneurs who are going to teach you how to build your business like them. And then it's like, okay, yeah. what was your business? Yeah. My business was teaching entrepreneurs how to build their business. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. all this grift and yeah. it kind of like goes, goes on and on forever. All that's going to happen in anything, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe the left doesn't really have that, do they? I mean, like, is there like Antifa? Is that like in the world yeah. of Antifa? Is there like, here's how to, you know, build yeah. your well, communist blister? There still is that uh, like podcast Ponzi system, I think. I, they're, they're probably not marketing it the same way. Yeah. And they're, right. they're what do they not, sell? What do they sell? They must sell something. Yeah. How do like uh, community garden shares? There you go. Yeah. It's like the, oh, sign up for the feminist, uh, you know, battered fruit box. You know, yeah, that, right. that's what you need to take yeah. my period blood painting. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's funny. But the, the substance, I, I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're driving at, but I, the way I'm looking at it is that I think a lot of this arises out of a kind of hollowing out of social structure and familial, like organic social bonds. I think there are so many people who were raised in these environments that were totally devoid of structure and instruction, guidance, traditional wisdom, things that were passed down, things that would be transmitted by your grandfathers, fathers, family members surrounding them. I think a lot of people really lacked that and have been lacking that for a while. And so they, it's very easy for them to latch on to people who seem to play these fatherly or grandfatherly roles, people who seem to know what to do because they, they, they've lacked these resources. Right, so it's like filling in the space where traditionalism, paternalism, uh, religion, these kinds of things used to used to be. Yeah, you, you grow up being told your whole life, you can do whatever you want. That sounds empowering on the surface, but a lot of people find they have no idea what to do. And they actually really enjoy being told what to do. And they're just, it's, a, it's only a matter of the right voice coming along and being seductive and charming in the right way. And sometimes it's a matter of giving voice to the resentments that build up 
and the frustrations that arise from trying to do your own thing, trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do and encountering obstacle after obstacle or realizing that there seems to be a void there. You don't even have anything within you outside of all those external influences. So then it's a matter of, well, who seems the strongest, who's the most compelling and are they also recognizing all of my frustrations that I've experienced along the way? Right. So, so in this world that you've found yourself in and I've found myself in, what are the things that it is offering? Like what are the pot, not, not positive isn't good, but what are the substantive characteristics of this, of this world? So like, if we were to talk about the, beats right so the beats were disaffected they were rebelling they were you know and they were basically like life is not about tradition it's about experience it's about Mm -hmm. doing drugs and having lots of weird sex and just sort of absorbing the world and being free and um Mm -hmm. not about duty but about like life yeah expression Um, expression and we're almost the opposite, right? Yeah. So do, do you find yourself, do you, like, why have you personally, do you have an ideology? Do you believe in any of those types of things? Like, why are you fitting in here versus in Antifa period blood world? Well, I, I do think I have found myself in this place because as I was saying earlier, I early on in life very much bought into the ideology of individualism and doing whatever you want and rejecting tradition and subverting authority and living on your own. And there have been some benefits to that. I'm not going to say it has been entirely negative, but I encountered enough setbacks along that path of doing whatever I wanted that I started that I at some point took a step back and started to look at it critically. And then I started seeking out other voices, people who probably had had similar experiences and similar thoughts who were looking over this historical period where people had been set free to do whatever they wanted. And they were cataloging the the pitfalls of that, like the, the errors that people made and not just individual errors, but the, the social effects of that. And so I, I'm mostly interested in this as a form of social critique. And I'm not so like, I'm, I'm a little bit more hesitant when it comes to positive prescriptions Got it, and yeah. saying, well, because things have gone awry, here's exactly what we need to do now. Yeah. You get a little bit of, like, I think by nature of criticizing something, there are going to be alternatives that, that pop up. Like you're going to start outlining other possibilities, but I'm, I'm, I've never been sold on something like within this sphere of what we're talking about, like the trad cath position, mm, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. traditional Catholics. Like, I don't know. I'm not in a place to say we need to return to like monarchism or something. <laughs> we need a king. We need to listen to the Pope. We need to go exactly back to the way things were before. I, I tend to think that when things fall apart, it's not as if, well, it was healthy and then something came along and destroyed it. There, there's already something weak. If it gets to this dysfunctional place, there's already something going on in what was supposedly so great about the past that led to this point. 
So I'm, I'm not, I try not to be, I try not to have rosy, rose colored glasses on when looking at the past either. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're saying that it's like you're, I, I, you keep mentioning this thing about the death of, yeah, it's the do whatever you want era, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, but only in your little box. Do whatever yes. you want in your little box. Like we're, we're going to yes. give you this little box and you draw mm-hmm. however you want in the little box. Yes. Right. But I think what more sensitive people notice is a couple of different things there. It do The message is do whatever you want, but there's still this implicit expectation that you're going to satisfy other people's interests as well. Like it's a little bit of a, there's a hidden injunction there too. do what you want. But if you really do something that we don't like, we're still going to come down on you. At the same time, it's also possible to find yourself in a place where you're doing whatever you want and no one cares. And even if no one really wants to feel like no one gives a shit about what they're doing, like there's a freedom in that and you don't necessarily want all the attention in the world placed on you, but if you go too far out and you think that no one understands what you're doing and no one cares about it, that's profoundly disheartening. So you're saying that like the limits of this do whatever you want thing are on the one hand, if you really do something we don't want, we're still going to enforce and then be in doing what you want and everybody being able to do what you want, it's isolating because, you know, most people, their people aren't going to care about what they do. Yes. Right. And you have to think of it socially, not just what you want to do. If I'm concentrated on what I want to do all the time, that means everyone else is too. So it's not yeah. as there's going Nobody's to be much more. Yeah. It's yeah, like, well, yeah. they're obsessed with their own project. So they're not going to be paying attention to me. And I admit that it's something that I struggle with too. Like there are times when I feel incredibly selfish or self-absorbed or even narcissistic. It's a pretty abused therapeutic term at this point. But I, I notice how all these other people are doing all these things. And I almost want to dismiss a lot of it and just preemptively think, ah, it probably sucks. It's not worth my time. Maybe it is, maybe it's better than what I'm doing, but there's only so much time I can even spend on checking out other people's material because I have to devote a considerable chunk of time to developing my own craft. Yeah, it's, well, it's also just like expression out of control. It's just so much expression. And that's why yeah. it's, you know, really tough to, to be naturally who people like you and I are because it's like, yeah, we are people who, are expressors and not that it, not that everyone isn't to some degree but we just kind of got unfortunate because we're born in a time in which there's so much air it's like unlimited air and and there the other things you know like the water and the earth and the fire are very low so i think right. like if you're a builder you know if you're somebody who like builds restaurants like in yeah. a way right now, you're going to have a little bit of an easier time because yeah. there's just not a lot of you. Whereas right. now there's a million of us. There's so many people expressing, expressing, expressing. So, so it's like talking floating heads. Yes. It's everything is floating. And I, I think that's also why identity itself has become such a performance because it's like 
you're floating around in the air. You can call yourself whatever you want. You know, it's like, and that's why I think the word based means like against that because it's like earth. It's like coming down to earth. It's like being tied to something. And I think what you're saying is the ties to anything are gone. Mm -hmm. And, and that comes from a liberal society. I mean, this is what Moldbug talks so much about. It comes from progressivism. It comes from the dominance of liberalism. Yeah. And it's reached the point where it's like, okay, well, you're now just unmoored. You do whatever yeah. the hell you want, right? right? You know, yeah. dress up as a girl, you know, sure. get your dick chopped off, you know, do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. As long and as it, you aren't what the one rule they have is harm. You can't harm yeah. anybody. You know, you that's oh, the one thing you get. Harm yourself if yeah, you want that, to. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Do whatever you want to yourself, but don't harm anyone else unless they want you to. Then maybe it's a little bit more nuanced then you need consent then you have to have yes and you need consent but even, right. even there it's not just ideology it's not just a, a a philosophical system of promoting the individual whim over the collective we're also talking about economic forces like what isolates and atomizes people is not just conscious viewpoints or beliefs it's also the way the economy functions and the fact that most likely you're going to have to move several times to find decent work and technological systems as well. Yes, you can stay in contact with people. That also makes it a little bit too easy to break away from organic social bonds and communities. So there's this ideology that valorizes all of these other things that are going on as well it's economic it's social it's technological totally yeah i mean what they want you to basically be doing is living literally and figuratively in a box and being productive buying you know they want menaquinone talked about this in his heyday uh you know, they basically want you stuck in a box, clicking content, ordering food from, you know, large tech companies. They, they want to just give you that. They want to plug you into the matrix, really. I mean, yeah, that's, well, I, that's I, think, I think the aim there economically, especially if you're looking at this from the perspective of you know, transnational corporate interests, they want you to feel stronger attachments to products and services than you do other human beings. They, they want to strip away your natural human longing and emotional profile that's tied very closely to your relationships. They want to scrub all that away and then replace that with, with attachment, yeah, commerce, right. products, yeah, services, yeah. branding. Yeah, yeah. They want they want citizens, and they want they want to like wrap you in saran wrap and then just have you there whenever you know. They want to have this like very one to one relationship with you. So they try and tear down all these things that tie each other to each other, people to each other yeah. that they can't control, and they right. throw in like even sexually, right? Like condoms. What is a condom? A condom is literally like them getting in between you you know it's like like because they now you control that you can have casual sex now all you have to do is not actually connect with anyone right exactly yes you just simulated connection and that so my biggest fear though with with our movement and the reason why i you know i like you uh have a certain amount of distaste for certain elements of it Mm -hmm. 
And I'm a total outsider myself. Like I'm a total, you know, like I, I really am not a joiner. There's a great in uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. Franzen has this great essay about going to Antarctica and watching the penguins. And he talks about not being a joiner. Like he's just never yeah. joined. And I'm totally like that. Like as soon as people start joining up, I'm like, nah, ugh, ugh. Like, you know, like you guys are you fucking cheap. Yeah. 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 Know. <laughs> you know, like, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I will be honest, the happiest times in my life are when I'm just like, roving around the city with the bros you know like yeah like, that's mm-hmm. the best the one i'm the happiest probably right. um i kind of forgot what i was saying but oh 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 uh the question that i have for our, our group which i am now dedicated to like so i'm now dedicated to like being a part of this yeah, is my whole thing though is let's get together in person. Which you no, know, I talked about this in the last podcast. That of course makes you know you sound like a narc, and it makes you sound like oh come on guys, like let's like yeah. <laughs> let's go blow up the something. Which I'm totally not doing. I, I am so not like that is not at all what I'm doing. Not advocating anything like that whatsoever. But I am you advocating deliver a box to this building and then. <laughs> walk away and everything will be fine don't worry wait, wait what did you say go to the what <laughs> like i just need you to deliver a box oh yeah right <laughs> building and you know it'll yeah, be cool yeah. that's all i'm asking no. yeah uh, but it I, at a certain point to really fight this thing that we're talking about that isolates us we have to get together we that's the only way it's the only yeah. way to to really mm-hmm. fight and my fear uh, that I agree with you with is these guys are out here, you know, sunning their balls and lifting, doing 500 pushups a day. You have another great thing of you doing 500 pushups. They're doing this shit. And uh, do you know about the beautiful ones experiment, the John Calhoun thing? Yeah. Well, the, the mice, the behavioral sink, right? The, yeah ale study yeah mm-hmm. yeah so they put a bunch of mice in like mouse utopia where there was yes. endless food and endless everything and yeah. uh they replicated really really fast and then they reached a peak and then everything changed and the mice started fighting each other the women started biting the men and biting the yeah. other women and something really interesting the reason it's called the beautiful ones experiment is something really really happened to like 40 percent of the male mice not the females the yeah. males isolated themselves and just groomed themselves all day and Mm -hmm. didn't fight. They didn't do anything else. They just sat and and like groomed and ate. So they became, they they called Wait, sorry, what? They checked out. Yeah. There was was no pro-social behavior at that point. Right. And they checked out. And not only did they check out, they like took all that, you know, whatever pressure they had, they took their willpower and they turned it into becoming this like giant, beautiful, fluffy mouse. Yeah, right. So I really worry that like the the weightlifter crew, yeah. I, I really respect them and I, I like what they're saying. And I agree that physical health is really, really important. Yeah. And they think like that, you know, and Nietzsche, you know, it's it is important. I do believe in the, the voice of the body and that it's equal to the mind. I believe all that ideologically. Yeah. Um, but I also worry that they're but they're becoming beautiful ones. You know, they're just isolating even more and they're becoming yeah. these beautiful structures. Yeah, that's my concern as well. A lot of a lot of this advice, it seems to, sure, let's begin by saying it's better to be fit than to weigh 400 pounds and need gastric bypass surgery 
it's, it's better to have some independence from the American medical system. It's, it, it's of course, but you're way better off if you don't need to go to the doctor every week. If you're not, if you don't need statins, if you don't need all this blood pressure medication, all that's great. But it reaches a point quickly where you're almost, you're just obsessing over minutia to the detriment of cultivating relationships. I think that that's the danger. That's my concern too, because a lot of these routines that people formulate, they, they just, they seem imbalanced. Like it's one thing to eat healthy. It's one thing to move around, but if you're obsessing, if you're reading every, if you can't go out to eat with your friends because you're going to encounter seed oils. If, if you can't, if you can't mix in with polite company because you're going to touch a receipt or you're going to encounter some kind of, the estrogenic property. And <laughs> yeah. I think you, you, you need to be careful there. You need to, you need to, you need a little, di- you need a different perspective. You need to really, what's going to make you feel better is having healthy relationships. Oh. Like healthy body is, is important. Sure. But it just seems that so, some people's lives are now so, so structured in the opposite direction where every last moment is way too individualistic. It's, it's based solely on maximizing your performance and all of these different areas and tracking all these metrics that you're probably going to lose sight of things that are genuinely much more important, much more crucial to your flourishing to actual happiness. No, I totally agree. So, so how, before we get into the, what happened with the passage prize, which is uh, where we'll go next. Um, how do you cultivate those things in your own life? How do you cultivate relationships in IRL as an outsider yeah. yourself? That's a good question. And I will begin by saying, you know, cards on the table. I still to this moment feel fairly atomized. I am more isolated than I would like to be. And I think much of my own psychic distress stems from my feeling or experience of isolation. But to the extent that I'm not isolated, I consciously remind myself and I practice strengthening the relationships that I have. Like I don't let, I don't let stupid shit get in the way of people that I know are important to me on a deeper level. Okay. And, and a good example of that is like, let's bring in this, sphere of like uh, pickup artist or like alpha male seduction stuff like they're they're very quick to and this happens in different areas too like they're very quick to load you down with a mode of evaluation that has you ruthlessly cutting people out of your life very quickly and there are certain instances where that's probably useful. Like, sure, there are definitely guys out there who are taking way too much shit from people who really don't have their best interests in mind. And maybe they do need a little bit of a, a boost from these other voices to stand up for themselves. But again, the danger there is that you're applying these standards to people who you really do have stronger bonds <laughs> with. And you, you don't want to be too quick to let an arbitrary or a blanket standard suffocate something that is still vital in your life like i don't know maybe this is like a little bit of a silly example but i think it still is is apt enough like you wouldn't want to find yourself you wouldn't want to be like well i listened to all these youtube alpha males and 
you know, I broke up with my girlfriend of five years because she told me she went to Cancun when she was 20. I don't need these bloods <laughs> in my life. Yeah. <laughs> What's your body? Yeah. It's yeah. like, dude, you, you like, okay. So you, I guess now you're proud because you didn't tolerate a horror, but like, who's going to hold you at night? Like these yeah. podcasters are not going to, they're not going to keep you warm. They're not going to take care of you when you're sick. Like you, you need to maintain perspective. I think it, and I don't even know who exactly I'm talking to, but that's just something that I always keep in mind is like, if you spend too much time listening to some of these people who are aiming at a very low level of functioning and you try to apply it to this much more vast middle ground of ambiguity and gray area and exception, I think you, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and I think it happens because it feels good to remove yourself from the messiness. And if, yeah. if, if you, and I think our, the, the other side of it, it's total inclusiveness. So you just end up with this brown, disgusting, abhorrent sure. mass where anybody wow. can do anything. You know, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, go fuck whoever you want, Sarah. Yeah. And you know, that, and then it's like, ew, no, we don't want anything to do that. And so they react, we react by, um, isolating dividing ourselves from the mess from the muck yeah but mm -hmm. at the end of the day in order to really get anywhere the the heroes among us are going to have to tangle with that stuff which actually i think uh you know bronze age pervert talks about so um without getting too far away from it I, th I think there's a kind of a segue into the the passage prize things because yeah we're sort of talking about like purity tests and I think yes. uh, something that happened with you with Passage Pride sort of involves that. So can you just tell that story? Yeah, Passage Prize. And I don't even know that much about the background of this. This is another one of those things that I only investigate so deeply, but it, it, it pops up, it's on my screen. I'm friends with some of these people, friends online at least. But it, I believe it was run by, there's a character named Lomez, but in conjunction with this fairly notable figure, Zero HP Lovecraft. It's yes. like a bigger name in the dissident rights sphere. And he's he a, lit, just so we establish who he is, he's a very big name and he writes fiction. Mostly. Right? He writes like yeah. sci-fi, but he's like been in this game. Cyberpunk. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And yeah, he's a, a, a bigger name in that realm. And I also, even before this, never followed him that closely. And I never had a huge problem with him. His stuff really isn't my style. I don't care that much for the cyberpunk, the dystopian, the stuff that really lays on the whole, they're trying to make us live in the pod and eat the bugs thing. I, we're all dabbling a little bit in that, but I, I think the emphasis is very strong for him on that. And so it's, it's not my favorite thing, but had no problem with it, but he was a judge of this passage prize. And I think the idea was, all right, art is dominated by the left literature, visual arts, movies, the culture in general is very far left leaning. So we need to counteract that. We need to establish artists on the right. We need these voices with a conservative, a reactionary perspective. And to, to build this up, 
and to <clears throat> make some noise, we're going to hold a contest. And H Zero HP Lovecraft was a judge for the literary category. I think there was a painting and there was like a nonfiction, there was fiction and poetry. And Curtis Yarvin was a judge for poetry. There's this guy, uh, so say some like fat Italian or something. Uh, oh yeah, Geo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of Geo uh, as well. Yeah, he's the he's this yeah what whatever. I mean, he seems all right, but uh, he's doing the the paintings. But zero HP Lovecraft doing the fiction. I see this contest. I think well, even with all my reservations, you know, I'm not really trying to be this right wing figure, but I know enough of these guys. I'd like some more attention. Maybe this would be a good way to get it. I submit a story. I know right off the bat that I didn't submit the right story, but I don't really have the right story for this because I'm thinking maybe somewhat cynically, oh, if I want to do this correctly, it's got to be a story about these gorillas like smashing communists heads in with rifle butts or something. <laughs> like it's got to really, or like it's got to be about a guy who, you know, rips himself from the matrix and like he was a cuck and then he asserts himself somehow in this dramatic fashion like i had that i knew it's like that's probably what they're looking for it's, it's got to be something like that if you really want to impress these people i did not submit a story like that i submitted a story that is called fatter and it isn't like mac truck hitting you in the face obvious parody of a stephen king story oh, thinner. called Dinner. Yeah, yes. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, which I think he wrote under one of his many pseudonyms, like Richard Bachman or something. Yeah, there's a movie, uh, right? A movie or a show? They probably made a movie yeah, out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the the brief run through of that is that there's a lawyer who hits a woman. He's like this incredibly obese lawyer hits this woman, and I don't I don't even know the I don't remember the exact details. He either hits a woman's daughter, he kills somebody that's dear to this woman who's a gypsy who then curses him to continuously lose weight he doesn't know what's going on he's wasting away he's got to figure out what's happening and reverse the curse so my version fatter is about this stereotypical rock star chef he's this asshole maverick style cook he runs his own tasting menu restaurant and he serves a woman gluten who has a, a gluten intolerance and she's also this gypsy new age character and she curses him to continuously gain weight he can't stop eating he is his the quality of his work declines because he's so distracted by eating garbage food and he's got to find a way to reverse what has happened to him so it's like an exact parallel running in the opposite direction of thinner. It's fatter. But it's also, it was fun for me. It was, it's supposed to be, it's what I thought at least was obviously comical. I mean, it's a ridiculous story. It's supposed to be funny. And I really wanted the opportunity to make fun of the service industry of the, this kind it's a, the main character is based on a couple of chefs that I know. And they're not even bad people. They're, they're fine. But it, it's a composite of these different chefs who do tend to have pretty big egos. They have an attitude about what they're doing. They take themselves very seriously. They view what they're doing as this art. And maybe my own ego is somewhat 
inflamed by that because I, I look at the way that people indulge in food and how it distracts them from what I consider to be real art. Like people pay so much for this bullshit food, but they don't support all of these great writers and musicians and other things. Like food is such a focus now because it's so easy to indulge in and it's so easy to enjoy. So I'm just making fun of all of that. I submit the story, don't hear anything. I realized that they release this short list for the people that they were going to then award something to. After that, Zero HP Lovecraft, he releases this, I think it was a, it was a sub stack and an audio recording of this instructional moment for him where he, he said something about, oh, we've got all these submissions, many of them were great, you know, some of them need some more work. But I have an example of this one story, pretty much what not to do metaphysically. <laughs> not even in writing, not so much like the, the nuts and bolts, the craft of writing. Like, yeah. he, he, was, he was clear to say, the story isn't poorly written. It, it's, everything's fine on that level. But this is exactly what's wrong with literature today and and it's it's because of this bad metaphysical frame okay like so what was bad well first of all this is great because it's like you didn't win you like opposite one you know what i mean like you you yeah, actually no. <laughs> you got it's like, like the negative, negative prize the most <laughs> negative distinction like we had 500 submissions and you know we like 10 of them made the short list for winning the prize. But then there's this one. one yeah. <laughs> you were one out of 500. One out of 500. Most of them just kind of stuck in an uninteresting way. Yeah, you won the opposite passage prize. I think that might be the, the that we have to talk about that. That's like going to be the dude. Well, no, but hey, you know what? That's better to better to be loved, hated than than forgotten. Right. So what did he not like about it? What did he what was his critique? All right. Well, and I guess I have to. It, I can spoil this because it's not really it's not supposed to be that suspenseful. It's it's a funny story. You're supposed to laugh at these absurd events that occur, but I'll go ahead and spoil how the story goes in broad outline. I and mean, it would still be worth reading. It's, it's not only worth reading so that you can find out what happens at the end. But the chef gets fat. He gets fatter and fatter. He keeps eating. He eventually connects he, his weight gain to the night that he served that woman gluten. And he tracks her down and he gets her to explain what's going on. And he apologizes to her because she she attempts to reframe it as she doesn't even actually claim that she did curse him. Her take on it is, well, maybe you're suffering from bad karma because you were an asshole to me and you didn't take my allergy seriously. So now you're being punished by some greater cosmic force. And I think if you apologized or you felt some remorse, maybe things would get better for you. And so he does it, he apologizes to her. And then the story ends with him driving past a bunch of fast food chains and like feeling tempted to pull into the drive-through, but he doesn't. And then he stops at this sparsely populated gym and he goes in and he gets on a treadmill. So it's not really a happy ending and it's supposed to be ambiguous because you're not supposed to know 
if there ever even was an actual curse, yeah, yeah, yeah. if he was even out of guilt, if this woman had any real power over him, you're not supposed to know for sure if the apology even had any weight, if it changed anything for him. And yeah. you're even supposed to think, well, maybe he's getting on the treadmill just because he is now on this track of self-improvement. And that's all there is. There's nothing outside of these decisions that we make. He decided to do one thing. He got caught in a, an addictive cycle and now he's deciding to break out. But there's nothing outside of that that is determining his actions. Like that is a possible read. Or you could read it much more like a fable, like we are dealing with these supernatural forces that he's contending with. All of it's supposed to be ambiguous. It's supposed to be funny. You're not really supposed to conclude one thing or another. It's just a stupid, funny story. But he read it as, well, you see, this man is dependent on the approval of a woman. Yeah. And he must apologize to her to free his soul. Uh, and that's metaphysics. It's metaphysics. It, and it's something about like there's somehow it was secular humanism, too, because uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's no mention of God. Uh, there's no there's no higher redemption, which yeah. sure, I suppose that's okay. But it just seemed absurd to me to <laughs> think that I was somehow advocating for some male submission to female authority. Yeah. Like well, the, the, but, but to be fair, you are saying that you're not, you know, this is the tension, right? It's like to join or not to join, you know I mean? And, and on the one hand, you're, you are in this world, but on the other hand, you're saying, well, I'm not going to be a part of this world either. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting into, you know what they're, right. as you're saying, you know, full well, what they, what they want and you know what we want. I'm going to say we too, because there does have to be some form to it. You know what I mean? I mean, you as an individual artist, there doesn't have to be any form at all. You can do whatever the hell you want. I mean, I think a yeah. lot about for, my mind always in this conversation goes back to rap music, which I'm sure I'll oh, talk about a metaphor that they're not going to like. But, uh, you know, I grew up I grew up with rap. So that was the world that I was born into. Not nothing I had a choice about. And right. rap, the rise of rap was all kinds of different things at once. You know, there were people way over here. There were people way over here. You know, there were true gangsters. There were yeah. people who were really, you know, uh, brainy and um cerebral and you know it was a totally different thing yeah. you can in it you can be whoever the hell you want right but mm -hmm. as as in finding your little corner and finding your little brand right mm -hmm. of it uh it's about understanding where you fit in it right it's like a way where like if you're applying to the gangster rap con conversation mm -hmm. like you're never going to win the gangster rap competition as yeah. a you know underground like atmosphere type rapper you yeah. know what i mean like you're just in a yeah. different area and I, so i think right. that you're just in a slightly different like you're providing a little bit of the same thing you're just in a little bit of a different area yeah. you know like that's what i found out yeah and and on some level i knew that or i figured it could go that way i didn't think well i i assumed that it, I would mostly be ignored. I didn't think I would be singled out as an example of something that's completely antithetical to what they're trying to do. I wasn't looking at it quite that way. Yeah. And maybe yeah. I should 
anticipated that. Well, I mean, no, I think you're just learning, you know, we're all just learning what this thing is and we're learning the the angles and the rules and everything. I mean, I, I you know, those guys are, they're elitists. You know, I, I learned yeah. that in dealing with Curtis as well. You know, they are true. Like, you know, they only believe that a certain small number of people should be able to be part of the club, which is like, you know, Hey, that's fine. It, 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 that's, I think yeah. more of that versus less of that is good. You know, I mean, we want, yeah. we want more difficulty getting to the, get it. We want it to be hard. We want to be hate. Yeah. We want it, you know, we want that because I think that sure. that helps make us stronger, et cetera, you know? Um, okay. But I, I don't want this to go too long because I learned my lesson last time of nobody really wants to listen to two hour podcasts. So um, before we go though, let us just, uh, touch on your sub stack. So how have you, your sub stack is called middle American lit. Yeah. And how have you been um, growing that? Because it's pre, it's pretty new. It's only like a few months old, right? Yeah. The sub stack is only a couple months old, but I do have a larger back catalog. I have a WordPress site as well, which I don't oh. think I have. Yeah. I don't I think I have that. the link up to that on Twitter anymore. I don't even know how to do two links in the profile. That's how stupid I am. Maybe you can't do it. Maybe you can. To me, it seemed that you couldn't. So I just went with the Substack. I have been doing the blog for about two years since I started oh, cool. the Twitter account. So there's quite a bit more material on there. And that's a mix of auto fiction or nonfiction. And there are quite a few short stories in there as well. Oh, great. Most of the short stories are going to be part of the collection. Like I'm almost finished with the short story collection that's going to be the next physical product that i release that's not too far off oh great and so yeah. what is the website of the old book because the new blog is middle american lit at yeah. substack or dot substack what is the new thing or the, the old thing sorry the old thing, the old thing is middle american lit at wordpress at uh, wordpress got it. okay yeah. cool either so that makes sense now i understand yeah. Now I understand. Maybe, maybe I should find a way to link that as well. Because yeah, for people who are just now finding out about me, they might not know about all that material too. But I've been growing an audience through that. And two years of Twitter activity. But it actually goes back even a little bit farther. I've been writing on the internet since about 2015 or 16. I, originally, I wrote under a pseudonym. I was a true anon. Uh, a what? A, a an anon. An oh, anon. you were a true anon. I thought you were saying yeah. your name was. Okay, yeah. yeah. You're, yeah. you're actually yeah. Bronze Age pervert, is what you're, is what you're saying. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> yeah. I was not uh, nearly that big, but yeah. I, I moved out. I lived in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years, and over there, I started a blog. It was called The Empty Subject, and I was much more... I, didn't have as much experience with the internet writing thing. It was much more immature, much more deliberately inflammatory and reactionary, but it also was mostly for kicks. I was just having fun, but I definitely at that time with what I was writing about needed a little bit more cover. Yeah. I did that for a couple of years. One thing that I have enjoyed is some of the earliest readers that I gained in that period still read me now and have been along for that move from anonymous shit poster troll to like someone who's trying to present a real product or a real a real image in a way like I'm standing behind myself as an artist like I'm not trying I'm not pretending to be 
David Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, you know, like a, like a Confederate Colonel or something like it's, yeah. it's not a, this isn't really like a LARP in that way. It was way LARPier before. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So how have you been growing? How do you find that you grow the most just from blogging or from tweeting or? Yeah, that's something I don't even know that much about. I think tweeting, I don't even want to spend time on this because tweeting seems like something where you're only getting a certain percentage of people who notice your tweets who then read the rest of your material. Yeah. Right. It's probably like one out of 10 or something. So like for every 10 people's attention you get on Twitter, one person will then look at more substantial work that you've done. So you're always trying to figure out like how much time do I devote to this side of things? Cause I do want more people reading me, but I don't want to spend so much time on this that the craft itself is actually suffering. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's the difficulty. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's the, the problem with Twitter. It sure is addictive. It really is. And, and I've met people that I'm, I'm glad to have yeah. met them. And, and I've even been able to grow the audience that way. But to what extent have I also pissed away valuable time that I could have? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, cool, man. Well, um, yeah, people can find your book, The Neighbor. It's available in a lot of different places. I've, I've noticed I need to order it immediately, which I'll do. Um, and then Middle American Lit, it's great stuff on Substack, a lot of really cool, insightful things. And yeah, really excited to see kind of like how you grow and how your branch of all of this develops. So uh, thank you so yeah. much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Cool. All right. I'm going to stop recording. Let me just right. stop.